Welcome to Multifamily AP 360, the show where we discuss 360-degree views on mindset, passive, and active multifamily investment. If you're looking for tips and strategies, or just want to learn from the experiences of others, both good and bad, then listen on. This is Multifamily AP 360 with your host, Ramakrishna Chunchu. Today's our next guest, Chris Linger from Uplex Capital LLC. Welcome, Chris. Thanks for having me, Rama. Thank you very much, Chris. A little bit about Chris. Chris Linger alongside wife Maricela, our principals at Uplex Capital LLC, accredited real estate investors, investing in real estate since 2006, built a personal portfolio valued at 4.5 million, and they started disposing process in 2020 to transition into apartment syndications. Passively invested in nine multifamily syndications across five states. Portfolio value 122 million as passive investors LP. Additionally, 130 million multifamily portfolio under management as GPs, 1700 plus units. So with that, Chris, you want to add anything to your background? We are now in 1,900 units as general partners in multifamily. We have two self-storage and three mobile home parks, as well as I think we have seven mortgage notes that we hold as well. Awesome. Thank you. So you guys invested maybe nine plus as LP. Shame is know some lessons learned from that and some best practices. One of the things that I would say on the LP side is in the passive side is to educate yourselves on what the standards are in the business. We, our very first project that we went into, we were just excited to be getting into syndications. We'd done a lot of research. We'd listened to a lot of podcasts and had educated ourselves pretty well. Reviewed the documentation. And in the end, we saw a 6% disposition fee. And we thought about it. We were like, well, it sounds high, but if they perform, then... It seems reasonable, you know, but now that we're in the system, now that we've seen a few more, we're like, man, that was crazy how high that was. I was like, that's nuts. So just know what some of the standards are for some of the basic things that are out there that are being pitched or, or shown as opportunities for you so that you can ask better questions of the general partnership team. Got it. So, so what is your criteria when you're investing as a passive investor? We want to see, if it's multifamily, we want to see double your money in three to five years. We're not as worried about the cash flow, but we do want to see something better than a five or 6%. And we're not talking about a preferred return on that. I have seen some deals where the average return was only like a 4% over the life of the project. And they were offering a six or a 7% preferred with the expectation of when they sell it, they're going to make up that preferred return. And to me, that's just a bad business plan. But that's a personal, everybody takes on their own risks, right? And you decide what your tolerance is. But cash flow, we want to make sure that we see at least a 5 to 6% cash flow expectation. That gives them a little bit of a buffer in case the business plan doesn't go quite right. Double your money right now, this year is the first year for the cost segregation to be lowered right off the bat. So we're still working on what the appropriate amount is that we want to see, but we really want to see somewhere in the 40 to 50% range at a minimum, and would love to see something higher than that for an expectation on the depreciation first year. So what else as a passive investors 
from operator's point of view, market point of view, anything else. Definitely want to know who the operators are. We'd like to know who all the GP team members are. One of the things that we found is that people with a different history, like the ones that have experience, you also want to know what kind of deals they've done previously, where they're at, how was the business plan. You want to make sure that they have fulfilled their previous obligations so that you can feel comfortable that they're going to fill the obligations here on this particular project. So that's probably the biggest thing is to know a little bit more, get a little more due diligence on the GP team. The project itself will speak for itself, whether you look up the neighborhood, the crime rates, things that for us now as a passive, we're looking at it as a general partner for, you know, with our general partnership eyes to make sure that it, it meets the qualifications for us and that it has a little bit of conservatism in its underwriting, that it doesn't look super aggressive on its rent increases, that they're taking into account the insurance adjustments, the tax adjustments, stuff like that. We've got a couple of different groups that we're in where people don't necessarily do all of that. And when we bring up those questions, they're like, oh, wow, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. So always take a good look at stuff. If you're not certain, find somebody who's got a little bit more experience, whether they're passive or another general partner. One of the best options that we offer our folks is if you have a different deal you're looking at, we're happy to review it. We won't tell you yes or no. We will just tell you what we see in the underwriting or in the package and so that you can go back and ask other questions or better questions if you're interested. Got it. So any challenging experiences or bad experiences as LP? Bad experiences in LP. So we mentioned earlier, nine deals as passive. We went into different business plans within our first initial nine months, eight months. So we went into nine deals with five different GP teams. One of the business plans was a conversion from a hotel to a multifamily. And we also ended up giving them a bridge loan to be able to close. So we asked to be part of like all the phone calls, make sure we got some insider information on how this business plan works. We're thinking down the road, that might be an opportunity for us, right? So we wanted to find out all the little nooks and crannies. And that was, I'll say June of 21. Well, they just came to us in May of 23 and said, hey, look, guys, we're going to probably step away from this deal. We're going to look to sell this. It's just not working out the way it was supposed to. The business plan, we all thought we had looked at it well. They had a history of having done this before. It was all in good shape. But what they offered was to buy out our shares versus losing, right? Versus losing our investment. And the overall is that that project, that business plan, the lesson that I learned out of that, it is far more intense and deep than most people realize. There are so many nuances that it truly matters where it is. It doesn't matter that you have experience doing this before. The municipality itself has its own little nuances that you have to know in advance, or you can be double, triple your budget in a heartbeat. Yeah. So it's a very tough business model is what I'll say. So you want to elaborate any nuances or any insights on sure. that area? So a couple of things that I remember this group hadn't necessarily taken into consideration was the switching from a hotel to multifamily. You have different codes. They took in a lot of the code issues, you know, that was all in the plan. But one of the things they didn't anticipate was having to change all the windows because they didn't open. They had to move. This one is definitely a municipality one. They had to move a fire hydrant about 75 feet closer to the building. 
they didn't even really give a good reason why. It was not out of code. They just wanted it closer to the building for some reason. What else? They had multiple inspectors, multiple code inspectors. They One guy would come in. He's your code guy. He's going to take care of everything. Gives you the layout. And this is true in any municipality. But you get the one person. They have their things that they look for the most. This is what they want taken care of. They want to make sure it's right. And that person ended up getting COVID. Ended up in the hospital for weeks. And when he came out, he didn't, you know... They were holding progress because of this. They wouldn't give them a new inspector. Well, they finally gave us a new inspector. They come through with a whole different rash of things that they wanted taken care of. And this stuff, yeah, I'm not, that's not necessarily right either. It could have stayed, you know? And so again, it, it, you have to have that time with the inspectors and make sure that you're going to have something consistent because when the inspectors change, the business plan changes or the timeline changes because they come up with different things of importance to them trying to think there was something else and I can't remember what the other one was that I was going to tell you about, but those are the big things that they're almost yeah. not, you almost can't project those happening to you. Yeah. And so you really need to make sure you have a good contingency fund if yeah. you're going to do that conversion. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, sure. definitely. That's a good, good example. So now you guys have moved towards active side, general partner side. What kind of roles you are performing, you and Maricela? Asset management, we do investor reports for all of our investors, for everybody that we're invested with the general partnership team. We're also senior on some stuff where we're providing some advisory side. We're on the property management calls, maintaining the accounts. We've got the accountant. We take care of the liaison for the accountant for the project, for the K-1s, make sure the distributions go out. We've got the portal. I'm trying to think of what other major stuff. I mean, we're dealing with the lender. I've got quarterly reports are due. So we're working with the lender a little bit more this month than most. But um, And then also the vendors, the CapEx projects. Because we're the manager for the LLC, we're the manager for the asset management, we have a CapEx person who reports to us as well. He's a partner. And so he reports to us and we balance everything out that way. There's always another set of eyes looking over the books or looking over the project, looking over the quotes, making sure that things are staying on task, on timeline and within budget. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. So what role you enjoy more or what the roles you mentioned here? <laughs> For me personally, I like the asset management side. I like the numbers. I also like the acquisition, so finding the deals as well. But once we have those deals, I really like reviewing those numbers, seeing where we can do something better, coming up with a game plan. As you mentioned, Maricel and I used to have our own portfolio of 35 doors. We were self-managing those. Yeah. So we know the struggles that the property management's dealing with, and we know the different things that we did back then to try to drum up interest or get rid of delinquency or whatever it was. And we've dealt with the eviction process and we know what a struggle that can be with the courts. And so we're there to support them just as much as they're there to support us. Yeah. So from asset management point of view, it's a key component, right? So from last year or previous year, before last year, what has changed now and what kind of new things you guys are implementing to, you know, increase NY, reducing expenses kind of stuff? That's a great question. So the last two or three years have been really glory days for people. You could make money on a property and not even really pay a whole lot of attention to it is what I'll say. If you bought it and sold it within the last few years. Now we're in this point of there's higher delinquency. People are struggling to make their payments. And so we're trying to incentivize 
On that side of revenue, we're trying to incentivize the customers to pay on time. Right now, I know on two of our properties, we're doing a raffle for the people who pay on time or early. There's a three places for the raffle, so you don't have to feel like you're missing out, but you have to make sure your payments are on time. Another option is, or another opportunity is people who do not have a late payment or a late payment fee charged to them in the last six months or 12 months, depending on when we took ownership or how long they've been with us. Those folks are getting some sort of a gift card or something a little bit extra beyond just what we're offering to everybody. Yeah. Uh, if they renew, um, that's to try to help keep that, the renewal process going. We're also, we've been very fair on our renewals. We're not trying to bump them all the way up to the market rate necessarily at this point, like I'll say for the last seven months, maybe seven or eight months when the market just started to turn a little bit, we stopped putting so much pressure on raising that rent, closing that renewal gap, because it was more important to keep people in there at a reasonable price that they could afford than it was to worry about getting the top dollar they potentially leave and then we have to do a reno on it and put in more money, much more time. And then on the expenses side, the very first project we're doing right now is water, making sure that we're either hitting all of the, hitting all the leaks, we're doing water conservation, making sure that the, the low flow toilets, aerators, things like that are in place. Quarterly checks are verifying that those aerators are still in place because we know tenants like to take them out. They don't like that flow. It's just not enough for them. But we want to make sure that those things are going on. And for our project, we actually decreased consumption almost 38%. And thankfully, we did that early because about four months after we took over ownership on one of the properties, the rates went up 30%. So they went from, we'll say, $0.06 cents to $0.08. Cents. And we ended up with almost the same bill because of the decrease in how much water was used. So we were able to drop it down a little bit, but not the dollar amount was not as substantial as the consumption amount, which was great. So again, another thing that people, you may or may not be prepared for, when inflation goes up, your utility bills are going to go up. Everything's going to go up, right? And those mandatory and must-have things, you have to be prepared to absorb those costs in some way. Yeah, definitely not only utility bills, renovation cost, everything will go up, right? With inflation, all this stuff. So awesome. Thank you very much. Yeah, definitely a lot of great stuff you are implementing. So current market situation, high interest rates, inflation high, it's definitely impacting overall, you know, deal flow, new deals or existing deals also, right? So so what's your take on current market situation? How exactly your company is navigating next 12 to 18 months? The interest rate, interest market right now is very difficult to, to make a deal work. And it's what's sad is it's not the interest rate that's the problem. It's the seller, right? The seller still wants their price. They still want to get the returns that they're looking for, that price that they've told everybody they're going to get. But when the interest rates go up, they don't have a choice but to down on the price. Unless you find that unicorn buyer who just doesn't know any better, or maybe they're buying it all cash, 1031, whatever it is. So you can run around it a little bit and find the potential. But for us, we know our criteria. We're sticking to the criteria. We know what we want for returns. If the project doesn't make it work, we go back and we tell the broker, hey, you know, we just couldn't get to that price. Here's the price we could get. Do you still want us to put in an LOI? And so we'll put it back to the broker and make it their choice. Well, I can tell you that's bitten me once. I don't know that I'll let it happen again. 
And that is, they wanted $16 million for the deal. I came to about twelve five at the time. And three and a half, four months later, I was talking to a friend of mine, and I didn't realize she was the seller for that property. And she said, she was telling me the struggle she's having trying to sell this property. And I was like, hey, I, I remember that deal. And I told her the price. And she goes, man, I wish you would put in an LOI because I didn't know any of the buyers. I didn't know if they could close. We just took a stab in the dark. And she goes, and right now, we're retrading back to that price. Okay. And so she's like, always follow up with a broker every 15 to 30 days. Doesn't matter if they had a call for offers and they didn't accept you. They didn't even bring you the best and final follow up with your brokers. So they know that you're there and you're ready to do it. Hey, send me a new T12 so I can see if I can update my numbers, you know? And so that's one of the things that I've learned with this down market is that you stick to your numbers, know them well, and keep those relationships on the front burner. Don't let them slide back just because you didn't have enough to make it the best and final or get accepted. Keep massaging that relationship and you may end up with something that falls out of, uh, yeah. out of the deal later. Yeah, definitely. I just want to add one point. Even if you go with sellers asking price, it's very challenging to get lending, right? For that kind of price, we should meet DSCR 1.25. It's very challenging to, if NOI is less, you know, we cannot meet that. Yeah. Absolutely. And actually, I heard that there's potential for the DSCR value that's being required. I heard that might be going up. So that's yeah. that's like something I heard today. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> but it just means that you have to be that much more strict on where you're going with your numbers. Absolutely. So would you share any, you know, any best experience so far on active side? Best experience on the active side. And we had on multifamily I think it's the relationships, being able to help others, not just the tenants, not just the investors, but we're also helping other people on their journey. In those nine deals that we've done as past, uh, excuse me, as general partners, we've been able to bring 12 new people into the programs, into the deals, and let them get started. And we help them along with their asset management skills, their investor relations, and give them access to see the calls and understand the process a little bit more. And I know at least three of them are on like their second and third deal already. So I'm really excited about being able to help others along the way. And we just, we like to make sure that we're on the same page, that we're in alignment on our goals and where we want to go with things. And then it's a matter of, let's take a look at underwriting. What do you have? Here's what I have. And we can compare stuff to make sure that we're in that same mindset. So Awesome. Thank you. So would you also share any challenging experience or bad experience? Well, I kind of told you about the renovation, so I'll tell you about a different one. I did talk about it at the beginning was due diligence on the general partnership team. And we had a person come to us, hey, I have a great deal and would love to work with you. And we looked over the deal, it made sense. And we did our Google search, a couple little things about the person, you know, take a look at stuff, uh, do a little background on the general partner because we didn't know them very well. And we were gonna end up being the senior people on the deal. We're the ones with the experience here in the States doing multifamily and so a key and pivotal role. And they wanted to do the management. We said, that's fine, but we're still going to have a say in there. Like we're still going to be on the management. And when the operating agreement came back to us, it was all her and her company and they were running everything. And there was almost no way to get her out of the position. And we're like, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Like, we're going to be a team on this. And she had made some decisions on her own, started a fund, 
was going to have all the money go through the fund. And then her company was going to be the manager for the fund money, you know, and all that. So there were all these extra fees that we had never discussed, never talked about. So just know your general partnership a little bit better. Make sure that you've spent time with them outside of group events and things like that, as well as have a, a lot of people will put that company agreement off until a little bit down the road, but make sure that you have some sort of a skeleton that you like to work with that you can put in front of them or vice versa so that you can review what the basics are. It's almost like running a PSA to your buyer or to your seller, right? You, you're going to go back and forth a few times. I like this. I don't like that. And let's change this up a little bit. And so we've turned that bad experience into a business practice, I guess. You know, it's helped us to develop that business practice that we've spoken with people who've been doing this for 10 or 12 years. And they're like, man, I've never had problems like that. They're like, you know, we're going to make sure to lock in some of these other things that you guys have been talking about. We're going to make sure to start implementing some of those. So it's been great to be able to add some value to, to people that are senior to us even, you know? Yeah, that's a very, very valid and very, very important point you touched. Yeah, mm -hmm. thank you. So let's move towards personal side. Any habits that are helping you to be successful? Habits to help with success. We do some time blocking. So we make sure that we have some time set aside for being able to review the bank accounts, review the property management reports and things like that. We also enjoy mentoring folks. So we're on Clubhouse weekly. We do a monthly virtual meetup as well, where we'll bring in vendors and stuff like that. We try to keep relationships going. That's a, that's a big part of this business, right, is relationships. And so I think that that helps with the success. We're also pretty freely giving in groups that we're in. Like we'll share knowledge. If somebody throws something out there that looks off, you know, we're more than happy to say something. And it can be in private. Sometimes I'll send a private reply as opposed to a group thing. But I always try to look at the side of knowledge and, and learning, whether it's my learning or somebody else learning, you know, hey, that's good information. And I'd like to hear more about this. But those are probably two or three of the, the best ways to continue the success model, as well as you can't do it all. Yep. So we ended up hiring some virtual assistants. And the other side of it is I work with my wife. So she takes on some of that workload also. And then I take on the other portion. So yeah, got it. Thank you. Any books that impacted your life? I'll say the four hour work week. I tell a lot of people this, the four hour work week, the first time I listened to it, I was just, this guy's crazy. You know, but as you move through different levels of success, those different things that he was doing start to make sense. And so I probably read that once a year, maybe a little bit more often, just to re-trigger, hey, is there something else that we can be doing? Something else we can be doing? We have given up a lot of stuff. Like I said, we've hired some virtual assistants. We started with two. We Two months later, we saw the value. We grabbed two more. And within 30 more days, we closed on over $120 million worth of assets because wow. we didn't have to focus on this other stuff. We were able to focus on these other three assets. And now we have a team of eight virtual assistants and one local hire to help manage. And then we grew that into a virtual assistant agency as well, because people were like, how are you moving so quick? What are you doing? I can't do this. Like, I don't know how you have all this time in the day. You have this time in the day because you let somebody, you pay somebody else for their time in the day. Yeah. And so we've got what, 18, 20 hands working for the work of one or two. So that's been a huge help to the success side. And how can listeners can connect with you, Chris? Please reach out through invest at uplex.com, up-plex.com. That's the easiest way to get a hold of us. 
we that's directly to us and we can set up a time to have a conversation. We're on Facebook and all that stuff too, but that's the easiest way to get a hold of us. Awesome. And thank you very much, Chris. Thank you for sharing about your passive investing experiences and also your active investing journey and also your best and challenging experiences. Thank you very much. I really appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Roma. appreciate it. Sure. That's the end of this episode of Multifamily AP360, but we'd love to continue to help you on your journey. Head to ushacapital.com slash podcast to join our email list for more tips and strategies. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. This is Multifamily AP360 with Ramakrishna Chunchu. We'll see you next time.